we find ourselves this morning in the third week of a three-week series that I have entitled Extraordinary. First week we looked at the extraordinary God, John chapter 10. Last week we looked at the extraordinary church as we celebrated 10 years, 10th anniversary of the life of, of River Bend. And to be honest, I, I don't know of a more fitting and better subject to start the second 10 years than what we will look at today, an extraordinary life. And we're going to look in Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5, and that's where we will spend most of our time this morning, but... Let me start this morning where we started the series in John chapter 10, verse 10. You'll see that verse on the screen as Jesus stated this to his followers in the Gospel of John. He said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I, but Christ, but the Messiah, the Son of the living God, I came, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. That you might have life. You, you might have life today. You, you might have life forevermore. I came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Or you might have it in an extraordinary way. Heavenly Father, as we look this morning at the abundant life, Father, it is the life that you have given. You have given it in the past. That this body of believers, that every man, woman, boy, and girl who have bowed the knee and know you as Savior and Lord of their lives, you have given this life, an extraordinary life, to us. Father, your enemy... Your enemy wants to steal, wants to kill, and wants to destroy this life in us. Your enemy desires to, to squash this life being lived out in the present tense, in the present day. And Lord, so often I allow him to do that. Father, so often I believe we allow him to do just that. Father, may it never be. Lord, may it not happen this week. May it not happen today. May it not happen in the next 30 minutes. Father, what you have for us this morning is... 
important. May the words that I say be communicated to the ears, the minds, and the lives of these in this place in such a way that it is clear in such a way that we grasp the extraordinary life that you have for us. God, would you speak? I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Every one of us walk a certain way. We walk putting a left foot in front of a right foot or a right foot back in front of a left foot. We walk with a certain gait. And over the last five years, there have been numerous studies because they have your gates and they have my gate. Everywhere you walk, whether it's a, a shopping center, an airport, a store, even now a, a sidewalk in a neighborhood, they are watching you. And to some of us, that scares us. You know, the whole big brother thing. But they are watching. And as they watch, there are numerous studies that have come out that to a certainty of 996 they can pick out you from anybody else because of your gait. Now, some of you might think that you walk like Jimmy Walker in Good Times and Dino might, but you don't. Some of you and I think that we walk like Superman and Batman, but we don't. We're more like Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne. But to know that they're watching somewhat scares us. But let's go low tech for just a moment because there are others who are watching your gate. Dad, every time you come in the house, somebody's watching you. Mom, every time you walk around the corner, somebody's watching your gate. Now it might not be what your left foot looks like and your right foot looks like as you take a step, but they're watching your gait. And the more that I think about that, the more it makes me want to hit my knees because of how my gait is looked upon by two teenagers now. But you are being looked at. Your gate is being looked at. My gate is being looked at. Step after step after step. And Paul uses this analogy of walking in such a way to bring about some spiritual qualities that need desperately to be in your life and in my life. And I want to bring out three qualities. There's five or six in these two chapters that I'm about to read for us, but I want to bring out in the time that we have this morning three qualities and then challenge us. Three qualities for you and for me 
to have an extraordinary life in the way that we walk. So if you have a copy of God's Word, you can follow along with me in Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5. Last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, as we talked about this extraordinary church. But actually, Paul started the thought talking about an extraordinary life. And then in verse number 3, he threw up a big parenthesis and he kept on talking about this church and some characteristics of, a, of an extraordinary church, and he closes it in verse number 16, and then he picks back up with his thought about how to walk in verses 17 through the end of the chapter. So I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4, and then I'm going to read 17 through the end, and then in chapter 5 we will read down through verse number 18. You're like, Brian, why are we reading all this scripture? Because if you don't get anything else, you get the word of God. All right? It's what counts. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, River Bend, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. With all humility and all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse number 17. Now, I say this, I say this to testify. And I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the, as the Gentiles do. In futility in their minds, they are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Verse 20, but that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, verse 25 states, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He continues his thought. We have a chapter break, but he did not have a chapter break. We, he continues his thought in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, because of all the stuff that I've already stated to you, let me add to it, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Catch this, verse 2, and walk, walk in love. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance, no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time, you, sir, ma'am, you were darkness. But now, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is Light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let me close it with these three or four verses. Verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. River Bend, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of of the time because the days are evil therefore therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit Heavenly Father, again, we come and we ask that you would speak, that you would use this time to bring glory to your name. God, that we would understand these qualities, these qualities that you desire for us to have an extraordinary life. 
Father, may I speak clearly and may we hear you this morning. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Qualities of an extraordinary life. Qualities of an extraordinary life. The first is this. It's found in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It states this, that the extraordinary life is one that is walked in love. It's one that's walked in love. If you and I are going to have an extraordinary life, if that's going to be the type of life that you desire to have, that you set out to have on a daily basis, on an hourly or even moment-by-moment basis, it is one that is going to be walked in love. Chapter 5, verse 1 states this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love. And he describes how you and I can walk in love two different ways there in verse number 2. First, he describes it this way, that you and I are to walk in love, and the example that he gives is this, that as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, that's an example of how you and I are to walk in love. Now think about that for a second. How do you describe, how does anyone describe how Christ loves us? Now, if you go a little further down in chapter 5, It's the uh, passage that all the guys love, not really, but all the guys should love it, myself included, being one of those guys, and he states to you and to me, men, that if we have a wife, we are to love her as Christ loved the church, and how did Christ love his church? How did Christ love his bride? He loved them sacrificially, he loved them totally. He loved them with generosity. He loved them with all their faults and all their warts and all their mess-ups and all their junk. He loved his church. And that's how you and I are given this example. If we're going to walk in love, then we've got to walk in this type of love that Christ has loved and that Christ has displayed for us. Let me illustrate it this way. On the screen, you'll see a passage. It's in, it's in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. It's also in Luke's gospel, and it's also in Mark's gospel. It's in all three of the synoptic gospels. And it is the story that occurs right before Jesus goes and gets arrested. It's, it's the week of his arrest, that last week, and... He's in Bethany, about five miles outside of the town. And he's having supper in a house. The man's name is Simon the leper. He has already healed him of his leprosy. And Simon is inviting him in the house to eat, along with a number of other guests. And here's how Matthew recorded it. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, not not when the other guests saw it, but when the disciples, now before we read any further, let's understand who the disciples are. They're the 12 guys who've been with him for now three plus years. They've seen him do all kinds of things, like feed 5,000 people with five loaves and three fish, 
calm the waters of a raging Galilean sea. They've seen him say at this moment, they've seen him say to Peter, Hey, Peter, why don't you come on out here on the waves and just walk with me? They've seen him heal Simon. They've seen all this stuff happen. They're amazed, and then it states this. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Now, that's a big word for they were extremely angry, mad, and wanted to fight this woman for doing this. Saying, why is why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, who would not be aware of this if they're saying this back and forth in the midst with him there, Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? She hadn't wasted anything. She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Every time a person hears, every time a person reads Matthew, Mark, or Luke, they read the story of this woman. They read the story of this woman who comes in and it is stated that she takes this flask, breaks it, and pours everything on top of Jesus' head. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a closed, confined room when a bottle of perfume is broken? That sweet stuff stinks. Because of how so tight, it's supposed to be used with, with just a, a little dabble, do you? You know, it's kind of like a 14-year-old boy who says, cologne, that's good. Let's take like 14 sprays when you only need half a spray. Half, half. <laughs> like half of a half of a spray. Unless you didn't wear deodorant, then you need probably 14. But catch this. This woman, this woman, she comes in and she pours it all over him. Why? Because she loved him extravagantly. And he said, she's done a great thing. She's done a great thing because it was an offering to him, that's the second aspect of this type of love. Not just as Christ did there in verse number 2 of chapter 5, but also as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to Almighty God. The woman gave a costly offering to Jesus, a sacrifice financially for him. It was a part of her walk, her spiritual gate, that she did what she did. And because of it, every person that reads the gospel, that hears the gospel, reads about her. And reads about her gate. But do you see the other 
characteristics of those in this story. I brought out a couple of them. The characteristics of their gates in that story, you know, the disciples. Let me just ask a couple of questions before we go to a second quality very quickly. Sir, do you always have to be right? Ma'am, do you always have to win the argument or to have the last word in the argument? Do you accept other people speaking into your lives? Truth. When others correct you, when they see wrong, when they critique items, items at the job site, items at your desk, items at the house, relationships that you and I have, do you throw up walls immediately? Do we throw up defenses? Is your first thought, I promise it's not what I do. That's a lie. It, often I've done this. I, I was reading a commentary, and i got to hurry, but I, I was reading a commentary, and as they were trying to argue this point, here's what the guy stated. Questions similar to that, and then he went off on a huge tangent, and he said, do you even think about telling some white lies just to try to get you out of the situation? You ever done that? Not, not said them. We know saying lies are wrong. But have you ever thought in your mind, you know what, if I just say this, nobody will ever know. Yesterday I, I was at uh, Brown Missionary Baptist Church yesterday afternoon at a uh, choir event that Nathan was in. And the little kids... Younger than him, probably six, seven, eight, they were part of the choir, and they came up and they sang this song. And they said, in the song, they said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. But if you lie, you got to remember everything. If you just tell the truth, Brian, you don't have to remember anything because you told the truth. But when somebody is coming and they are coming against you and they are critiquing you, you ever just thought, man, if I just say this, it'll, it'll all be all right. We'll just move about our day. Be careful. That's not walking in love. That's not walking in love the way that Christ has been described to you and to me. He gave Himself up. People ridiculed Him and He was okay with it. He gave Himself up as an offering, as a fragrant aroma before God. Second, the extraordinary life is walked in light. Look in verse number 7 down through verse number 14. He challenges you and me to walk a life in light. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at, um, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Two weeks ago, it was almost dusk, and I opened this door, lights were off, and I said to myself, you know what? I've walked through this place for almost six years now. I know exactly what has to happen. I will come close. I could see the stage. 
I will come close to the edge of the stage and I will get to a point about right here and I will see that exit sign and I will go straight for the exit sign because I know there's the door. And I got to the third row and there was a chair. And I'm glad there are not video cameras in this place because I would be on fails of the week on YouTube. I stumbled, stuttered, danced through the chair almost all the way back to the sound booth because I was hightailing it because I knew exactly where I was going in the dark. He said, no, don't walk that way. You are children of light. Don't walk in the darkness. Expose it. What I had failed to remember was that we had not reset up the room after Wednesday night youth. And Austin and I said, you know what, we'll get to it tomorrow. And my shin hurt because of it. You and I so often find ourselves with the opportunity. We find ourselves with the temptation. We find ourselves being inundated with the things of this world in such a way that we are walking around in darkness. And God says to you and me, be imitators of me, for you are children of light and walk as that. I told you the story a number of times, but when I was four, five, six, seven, eight years old, I would go hunting with my dad, and he'd say, all right, just follow me as we're going through the woods. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it, especially when it was snowing. And there was snow on the ground. I could see where his Boot made an imprint, and I did everything that I could possibly do to just get inside that boot. You know, as an eight-year-old, I could do it, but it was a little hard. As a 14-year-old, piece of cake. As a 25-year-old, it is easy to stay in step with the Father. As a 35, 45, even older. Why? Because our gate... As men and women, as adults, are about similar links. Spiritually, though, he is calling for you, teenager. He's calling for you, young adult. He's calling for you and for me to get in gate with him and walk. To walk on a trail. Even when the bushes and the trees of life are lining it in such a way that it's hard for us to see the next step. For us to walk through a desert where it seems for miles upon miles upon miles that all it is is sand and torturous heat and more sand. And then possibly even in the midst of a dark season of life where you and I can't see the next step. Will you trust Him? Third and final quality, Paul uses this argument about walking. And he closes out with an illustration. And he, com he compares and he contrasts two items. Being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. To challenge you and to challenge me to walk in wisdom. Let me read the verses and then say a couple of statements and I'm done. Chapter 5, verse 15 says this. Look carefully. Look carefully then how you walk. 
not as unwise, but river being, walk as wise. Making the best of the time. The, the literal translation of that is redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Compare and contrast being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. How does he compare and how does he contrast? He compares them this way. They are both controlling agents of an individual. They both happen with active steps... Catch this grammatically. They both happen with active steps, but are passive items. Meaning that the action is being done to you. You being drunk with wine is something that is happening to you. You didn't drink drunk. No. You, you drank, that's active, wine, alcohol, but something was happening to you because you drank that. You got drunk with wine. Passive. Now, if we could find this great pill that would allow one to drink and never get drunk, it would sell out. But it never happens because there is a passive action that happens to those who actively do that step. And so what's the passive action of being filled with the Spirit? That is it. Being filled with the Spirit is the passive action. It is being done to you. How do you do that? You walk... In wisdom. Being drunk takes the items of this world and eases one through the moment by erasing those items. It's like taking one of those baths, ladies, of saying, Calgon, take me away. And you know what? You can get away for five minutes. You can get away for 15 minutes. You can get away for an evening. But when you wake up with the hangover, the items are still there in your life. They still have to be dealt with. And he says to you and he says to me, hey, walk wise. Walk in wisdom and don't be drunk with this wine. Alcohol is a depressant that dulls your senses and my senses to reality. And it makes you less aware of your surroundings. The Holy Spirit, by contrast, is not a depressant, but is a stimulus that makes you more aware of reality. Two ways to overcome fear or stress is one, by dulling your senses, drunk with wine, or by opening your eyes more widely to the promise even in the midst of this stress, in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this desert, in the midst of this issue of life to the promise of the gospel. Walk in wisdom. Don't drown yourself out. Walk in wisdom so that you and I might have an abundant life. So that you and I might have an extraordinary life. He's given them to you. He's given you this life. He's given me this life. He paid the price on the cross for an extraordinary life. We sang it just a moment ago. He broke the chains. Yet you and I, I got both hands raised. You and I 
numerous days of every week. If we're honest, we don't mind living in this world. And he broke the chains of this world. So that you, today, right now, can have an extraordinary, abundant life. And the qualities, for you and for me, qualities are to walk in love, are to walk in light because we are children of light and to walk in wisdom. And it's so easy for us not to walk in love. And it's so easy for us to walk around in darkness and hurt our shins and whatever else because we think we know the way. And it's so easy for us to walk unwisely. And say, you know what? I got another day. I got another week. I got another. It's just May. I've got seven or eight more months in, in 2017. And half the year's gone. And then the other half. River Bend, may we never walk that way again. Heavenly Father, God, you, you have bought me with a price. Father, you have bought me with a price that is so precious. God, it's so dear. You gave your very best for me. And Lord, you have broken every chain. Everything that tempts me, every temptation, every argument that your enemy brings to my ears, to our ears. You, you broke those chains by dying for me and by rising from the dead and living and giving me a life that I could never give myself. Father, I stand with arms high and heart abandoned. Father, I stand totally surrendered to you. God, may that be the cry of every one of our hearts today, tomorrow, of these days. I ask it in Christ's name.